0: We invest a ton of our revenue back into ongoing R&D to come up with these, we call them proprietary signals that tell us if you are a bot or if you are human. And once we are able to gather a corpus of attack data, then we apply machine learning and artificial intelligence to that problem.
1: Listening to Innovators, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I am your host, Zach DeWitt. Today, we are joined by Derek Smith, co founder and CEO of Shape Security. Shape defends web and mobile applications against automated attacks, which can account for upwards of 90% of web traffic in certain instances. Shape's patented Botwall service protects many of the world's largest banks, airlines, retailers, and government agencies. Shape blocks more than a billion fraudulent login attempts every day and facilitates more than 150 million legitimate customers to interact with online logins. Shape is backed by world-class VCs, including Kleiner Perkins, Google Ventures, Norwest, Wing VC, and others. Derek is a repeat entrepreneur who is extremely articulate and insightful. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode as fraudulent login attempts are a massive and growing problem that can affect every consumer. Derek, thank you so much for being here today. Please introduce yourself. I am Derek Smith, co-founder and CEO of Shape Security in Mountain View, California. And Derek, please tell us about your background prior to founding Shape. Before Shape, I had several startups. The
0: one just before Shape was called Oakley. We were the very first inventors of uh, data leak prevention technology. That company grew and grew and was ultimately acquired by a global defense contractor called Raytheon, and ultimately that became one of the foundational pieces for Forcepoint, which they uh, spun off and put together. So after that acquisition, I worked at Raytheon for a period of time and then was asked to go to the Pentagon where I worked in the office of the Secretary of Defense working on cybersecurity policy. And in that role, you read in the newspaper about thousands or millions of hacks against the DOD infrastructure every day. That's of course not a million literal Russians on a million literal keyboards. That's all bots that are providing a platform for automated scripts that impersonate real humans trying to gain access to the that infrastructure. And what inspired you to start Shape? So that problem I just described we felt was going to move over to corporate America. So when I finished up my public service uh, out in D.C., I got back together with uh, my former VP of engineering, Justin, who worked with me at Oakley. And he had an idea for uh, a technical way that we could put our devices in front of web and mobile applications and really tell the difference between bots and humans. And based on what I'd seen at the Pentagon, that seemed like
1: that problem was going to migrate to corporate America and could be a big market. So before we dive into what Shape does, um, what were the first few months like uh, when you were starting Shape and getting it off the ground? We did
0: relentless research with prospective customers about how they would handle this problem of not being able to understand whether their legitimate users were logging in or not. And most companies were just in the very earliest days of seeing that problem evolve. So it was all about uh, traveling around and understanding what their pain was and what they thought their pain would become. So
1: fast forward to today, what is Shape's core product offering?
0: So our vision has remained true to that founding idea that we could develop core technology that would sit in front of web and mobile applications for B2C brands and be able to tell them the difference between real versus fake on the internet. So is that really Zach logging in to do online banking, or is that a representation of Zach developed from stolen information?
1: And how you know how big of a problem is this? If you pick an e-commerce site like Amazon or Target or Walmart, or a banking site like Robinhood or Bank of America? I mean, is this happening, you know, hundreds of times an hour? What's the magnitude of these fake bots trying to feign someone's identity online?
0: Yeah, this is a massive problem. We were really shocked at how big the problem became. We protect some of the world's largest retail sites. And when we first swing our technology in line, we are able to show them that, upwards of 90% of all login traffic is not human. That's a huge bummer for the marketing team who's taken a victory lap saying, look at all the traffic we pushed to the website or the mobile application when they realize that most of that is synthetic and not human. So it's a massive problem. And uh, across retail, we see it in the 90s. Across all the airlines, we see it in the neighborhood of 60 to 70%. Across the hotel chains, forty to fifty percent. Uh, so it's a problem in a large number of verticals. The banks, uh, we've seen anywhere from thirty to seventy percent. So yeah, really a massive problem.
1: And what are these bots doing? Are they trying to buy something and then immediately return it, and that's that's how they profit? What's their mo? Or I'm sure there's there's many different types of bots. So you can't. It's hard to uh, say there's just one use case. We've
0: podcasted about Starbucks in the past with their permission. So maybe I'll use that example again here. In the the case of Starbucks, people don't realize how huge the Starbucks gift card program is in terms of stored value. If it were a bank, it would be one of the biggest banks in the world. There's just billions of dollars of stored value on those gift cards. And so what attackers would do is buy up stolen usernames and passwords on the dark web, Glean from whatever breach has happened most recently, they would write a script designed to imitate a real Starbucks user. Then they would insert that username and password into the Starbucks website or mobile application. And if you're like most people and you reuse the same password over and over across all of your online accounts, then now they're into your account. And once they're in the account, they look for a balance on the gift card. And if there was a balance on the gift card, then the attacker would instantiate a new gift card and say, consolidate my balances. And then they would go sell that stolen balance out on the black uh, market or numerous ways you can use those uh, gift cards like cash at almost any retailer.
1: That is fascinating. And it sounds like... Almost every department in the company in Starbucks cares about this issue, right? Obviously, the, the finance department cares about this massively. The marketing department really cares about this. The engineering department cares about this because obviously, there's you know there's heavy traffic and a lot of that traffic is, is synthetic uh-huh. coming to the website. So it seems like shape is is beneficial to you know multiple departments within a large company. Absolutely.
0: So, you know, the interesting thing over the years is that uh, we have kind of felt like we've become the matchmaker between the fraud organization and the security and network ops organization because often those or those two organizations report separately and they don't touch until you get clear up at the CIO level and so the fraud department can see the losses happening, but they don't know how it's occurring. And sometimes the network ops and the security people, they can see the synthetic traffic getting in, but they're not sort of responsible for the losses. And so oftentimes we get those two groups talking for the first time and help them understand holistically how this fraud is occurring. And we help them understand how our technology will take that to zero and keep it there without giving signal back to the attackers so you don't want the fraudsters to understand that your company has a new control in place you want them to believe that the infrastructure that they've designed to mount the attack is
1: flawed in some way i see that's really interesting so in the case of starbucks will you alert Starbucks when you see this synthetic fraudulent traffic, and then it's it's up to them to block them from actually getting into the site and into that account? Um, Or do you actually um, help them with the blocking and and with the prevention once you you identify which traffic's fraudulent?
0: We do alert, but that's long after the, the pain has arrived. So we train our ML models on what that attack traffic looks like, and it mitigates it at the moment of the login attempt so that the fraud doesn't actually occur.
1: I feel like every time the word hacker is used, you know, there's a good chance the word Russian is used in front of that. And, you know, are you seeing these fraudulent login attempts from every pocket and corner of the globe, or is it very concentrated in in Russia and Eastern Europe?
0: Well, I think that to overgeneralize, if the attacker is trying to steal money or points or something of value that they can turn into cash, that's generally speaking coming from Russia, or Eastern Europe. If the attacker is after information, like um, design data or PII, or trying to connect the dots and understand where you live and what you're connected to, oftentimes you'll see that coming from China. If the attacker is just trying to cause disruption and denial of service, uh, you'll often see that coming from the Middle East.
1: There's a lot of reports which show the growth of the security industry. As there's more attack vectors, the need for security is continually increasing. And can you just talk a little bit about what you're seeing and, and just demand for shape and and also just the increasing sophistication of of some of the um, you know some of the people you're dealing with here? Sure. So
0: I think we oftentimes see
1: the attacker profile
0: blurring between organized crime and nation state and we have tracked individual organized criminals that we believe are acting on behalf of nation states and are providing information or uh, resources back to nation states so we do a lot of fundamental research on attribution and who's attacking and why are they attacking what infrastructure are they attacking with Uh, Where else do we see them attacking so that we can kind of understand and profile what is happening across the ecosystem and alert our customers about that ecosystem and who the the threat actors really are.
1: You talked about how e-commerce is a very natural uh, vertical for Shape, and um, you seem to be a great partner for multiple e-commerce companies, including Starbucks. What other verticals uh, are really well suited to use a product like Shape?
0: We do a ton of work with the banks. So more than half of all online banking in the U.S. is protected by shape. I think more than half of all U.S. airline reservations are protected by shape. A vast number of e-commerce purchases are protected by shape. And uh, even uh, certain government agencies are protected by shape. The ones that uh, have publicly facing applications that are out there uh, serving the uh, the public good.
1: So we, we talked about how there's multiple groups within an organization or company that uh, rely on shape and really uh, value shape. But I would imagine too, this is becoming a board level conversation that if you're one of the airlines that that doesn't have shape, you're, the board's probably asking why. And I feel like this is really elevating throughout the, the organization. Is that something that you've seen play out?
0: It is absolutely. Uh, we have airline customers where Clear up at the board level, they are aware of the protection that Shape has provided. And if there's ever an application or a flow that's not protected by Shape, that is alerting all the way up to the highest level. So I think it speaks to the growing awareness within the corporate environment. The CISO n- needs to be heard at the board level in order to really uh, get ahead of the threat.
1: What is the Business uh, proposition pitch is it an ROI pitch that you know you you pay X for Shape um, we basically help you block uh, Y number of fraudulent entries and then that equates to a Z ROI in terms of in terms of the um, prevention that that you're saving with Shape. Absolutely, it is always ROI based as opposed to. Something like firewalls,
0: where it's really hard to understand what is your ROI on another firewall. You just sort of have this notion that there's this best practice that uh, I'd be derelict if I didn't have a firewall. This is much more tangible and measurable, right? When we go in line with a customer, we can show them very quickly sustained reductions in fraud losses and that's very auditable. You, know, you can go look at chargebacks on, on credit cards and things of that nature to see that the fraud losses have come down. But there are ROIs achieved in many ways, right? So let's imagine you're an airline and you are dealing with all of these millions and millions of login requests that are just trying to scrape your fare information Well, every single one of those coming onto your website or mobile application can cause you to open an outbound connection to whoever's going to price that fare, be it Sabre or Amadeus, right? So we can stop the abuse there. Second, we can stop the takeover of your frequent flyer account. Even if somebody has your password or your username, we can keep them from stealing those points or miles and monetizing that. And uh, further, many of the airlines rely on public cloud instances. And so every time a bot is exercising their infrastructure, it's causing a charge to one of the public clouds and we can reduce that spend. So we've achieved ROI through reduced infrastructure spend, through reduced fraud spend, through reduced partner spend. So there are many ways of achieving that ROI. And probably the thing that we're the most proud of is our ability to, in some cases, actually increase revenue, not just decrease fraud. And we do that by taking friction out of our customers' experience that they deliver to their end consumer right if we can make it so that they don't have to have all of these added points of friction like mfa like um, having to log back in after an arbitrary period of time Uh, if we can take all of that friction out of their end user experience then their revenue can go up
1: that's a really powerful proposition derek so after you you make the pitch and it's an roi pitch uh, how long does it take to get shape up and running and actually uh, see the impact? Is it days? Is it weeks? And what, what, what's that What's that implementation process like for you? You know, it's funny. Uh, we occasionally will
0: have a bank call us and say, look, we're so sorry. We went with your competitor who was a CDN because it was easy, but that's not working. And now we're under attack. Help us, help us. And so, you know, just on a handshake, we will... Jump in and help them because we believe that an attack on one is an attack on all in banking or Mm -hmm. finance or or travel or or what have you. So we'll step in and, uh, and make them safe. So we've done that from a standing start to blocking the attacks within hours. So really, we can go as fast as the customer wants to go. You know, they can deploy us through the cloud they can deploy us on-prem they can deploy us using a CDN it's all the same price it's all a subscription uh, it all works
1: yeah I think the listeners are really going to find this fascinating just you talk about 90 percent of traffic and some in some verticals can be synthetic and um, you know how big of an issue this is and and, and actually how the fraudulent attacks work. But I think everyone would be excited to hear about how shape works. And, and, and what, what are you comfortable uh, sharing with us about how your, how your technology actually you know, does what it say it can do?
0: So I think it would be interesting to step back and talk about how these attacks actually work, right? This all goes back to the idea put forward by Alan Turing, the famous computer scientist uh, from World War II who broke one of the Nazi Enigma Codes. Uh, Following the war, he postulated in a famous paper that eventually computers would be able to fool humans into thinking that they were interacting with another human uh, when in fact they're interacting with a computer. And that is the exact problem that a customer has. Your bank can't tell that it's you coming in to do your online banking. It might be an imitation of you. And why is it so easy to imitate you? Because all of your tax data has been stolen. All of your PII has been stolen. All of your uh, health insurance data has been stolen. All of your email has been compromised. All of your, on, on and on and on You can go through, uh, just pick up the newspaper. Any random morning, you can see some new breach that your data was part of, and you'll eventually get a letter saying, "Hey, we're so sorry about that breach. Here's credit monitoring service." But that does nothing to actually protect you. That's closing the barn door after the horses got out. So, uh, so what does Shape do about all of that? Well, Shape has technology that uh, sits in front of web and mobile applications, and quite often that technology is based on JavaScript. We have a team that is at the very bleeding edge of what's possible with JavaScript and we have engineered a way of being able to have an inbound browser session execute our snippet of JavaScript when it comes to our customer's site and when it does that activity, we are able to collect telemetry from the inbound session, never PII, never anything personally identifiable, Just subtle indications of is that actually a human or is it really a bot imitating a human using all of these stolen credentials? And so that is the secret sauce at Shape. We invest a ton of our revenue back into ongoing R&D to come up with these, we call them s- proprietary signals that tell us if you are a bot or if you are a human. And once we are able to gather a corpus of attack data, then we apply machine learning and artificial intelligence to that problem. So we use AI in a couple of different ways. Uh, so let's first talk about supervised learning, right? There's a an MIT professor that talks about supervised learning this way. He says, you know, I, I know exactly what my mother's face looks like, but... I can't really describe to you how to tell what her face looks like, but I can do supervised learning for a machine learning model where I show it examples of my mother's face from many different angles. And I, and the software can tell eventually how to tell it is her face, right? Because it can measure the uh, how far apart her eyes are. What's the distance from the point of her nose to the point of her chin? exactly what size her her ears are. So with enough examples, the ML model can get very good at recognizing her face. Same idea applies with shape. We take examples of all of the most sophisticated attacks, right? Because an attacker attacking a major uh, New York bank is qualitatively different than an attacker trying to go after a small credit union we have examples, massive, huge corpuses of examples of this attack data that we train the ML models to identify. And so when an inbound session comes to a mobile application that we're protecting with our SDK, or it comes to an application we're protecting on the web, it executes our JavaScript, we collect the signals, we apply our machine learning to those signals, and we're able to identify what is the attack traffic and there are of course outliers out there right there are new and unique uh, kinds of attacks that maybe have never been seen before and for those maybe we use unsupervised learning to be able to show them all of these anomalies and have the system find patterns in those anomalies and then we put all of that into an expert system so package all that together and it can operate at massive scale and does every day. I think uh, the latest statistics are that we, uh, we block more than one billion fraudulent attempts at logging in every 24 hours. And we curate and facilitate 150 million login attempts a day by, uh, by real legitimate customers.
1: That was really well explained, uh, Derek. Thank you so much for that. H- how do you get started? I mean, how did you? There's always a chicken or the egg problem sometimes in these data first businesses and machine learning powered businesses. I mean, wh- where did you get your first data set from where you could actually train your ML models? Or did you, um, you know, have some intuition about which signals you should look for and you can, uh, you can kind of manually uh, upload those, those signals to look out for? And then as, as, as the company uh, acquired more and more customers and had more and more login attempts, you, you could do this supervised learning.
0: Most companies, I think, begin with the mid-market, the SMB, SME market, and work their way up. We specifically did not want to do that because we felt like the nature of the tax is so different at the low end that we would never be able to get the model to understand and climb the ladder we had to start at the very top, which is extremely sophisticated, right? Because you're not just dealing with, are you creating efficacy and security for the customer? It's okay, now you're gonna put a device in in line on-prem in my infrastructure. That means we've gotta have five nines of uptime and telco grade sophistication. And we've got to harden the device itself so that it itself is not the point of attack for the infrastructure in their data center. We've got to test latency. We've got to test and exercise all of the deployment mechanisms. So the uh, the decision to start at the very tippity top was really stressful in the early days. It required a ton of investment in R&D. And so that is where most of our venture capital has gone and is that, uh, that core investment. But we believe that investment paid off in spades because we were able to start with a corpus of data at the very top with the most sophisticated attackers and build from there. And so, you know, by today, we protect most of the major banks, most of the major airlines, most of the major retailers. And that has given our data scientists a huge advantage over uh, any would-be competitor.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, this must be a huge moat and very defensible that, you're, that you have all of this, this massive uh, data set across some of the most important companies globally. And, you know, that, that's, that's going to be a sustainable advantage, right? We believe that is
0: true. And it just gets bigger every day. You know, we compete with companies like CDNs who also offer bot protection. But we think that those are things that are just sort of bolted on as an afterthought. And the, the, the key component that they're missing from a data science standpoint is the mixture that we have of being able to be on-prem and in the cloud. Uh, we think that there are certain organizations that don't yet trust the cloud, you know, uh, government organizations, large banks, and you know, if you're blind to all of that attack traffic, you really are unable to adequately train your ML models on what to look for. And so you're gonna miss those attacks and we routinely see our competitors missing those attacks and that's what causes the 3 a.m. phone call, help me, help me, I'm under attack, right? So we we pride ourselves in being uh, very
1: thoughtful about discovering those attacks and and making our customers safe. So fraud is a very complicated subject matter and you're, you're leading shape. Um, You're dealing with some of the most important companies in the world. You're dealing with some of the most sophisticated uh, hackers globally. What's the hardest thing about your job right now?
0: Well, we're based uh, here in Silicon Valley, right? And uh, we sometimes joke that uh, we feel like we're running a farm team for the FANG companies, right? Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google. We invest a ton in getting our team trained up on these uh, technologies in time for them to be recruited away. So, you know, we talk a lot internally about the fact that, look, if you're just coin-operated as an engineer or a developer, Google's just right down the street. It's, uh, you know, one right and two lefts. (laughs) Uh, We feel like you really need to have a passion and feel a calling and a mission about security. And if you do, then this is the greatest job in the world because every single day we give you stick time actually duking it out with the most sophisticated attackers in the world using the most sophisticated ai and ml concepts and we're making the world's brands literally safe for e-commerce so if you have a passion for that fight then we're the place to work
1: are we going to see, you mentioned this earlier, that it's almost like you wake up every day and you see a new breach or a new hack and you know some large set of customer data is stolen. Are we going to see more of these? Is the frequency going to increase? You know, who's winning this battle here, this ever-constant battle between um, the cybersecurity firms securing some very large companies and, and then sophisticated hackers?
0: It kind of reminds me of... The progression with email, right? I mean, it, it used to be very common for even mid-sized companies to just uh, have their own uh, mail server and uh, run their own own email. But it's been years since I met anybody who ran their own email. It's all O three sixty five or or Gmail. And, Gmail, yeah. and why? Because those companies relentlessly invest in the anti-spam technology and all of the features and functionality that just make it unpractical for somebody to operate their own mail server. Uh, From a security standpoint, there's just so much to worry about that it's just not worth it. You should outsource it. Same thing is happening in security, right? We invest relentlessly in understanding what the attack landscape looks like We spend a massive amount of R&D every year understanding where the threat is going and what attackers are going to try next and making sure that we have countermeasures and get there first to keep our customers safe. So I think that more and more companies from midsize all the way to the pinnacle of the Fortune 500 just want an outcome. They want to subscribe with us for an outcome. We keep them safe. And so we're shoulder to shoulder with them in that fight. And they just view us as an extension of their own security teams. It's just plug and play. And they don't have time to go bother with trying to understand every little nuance of the attacker framework and all of the attacker motives and all the attacker infrastructure. We just make that all simple for them.
1: What's next for Shape? I mean, do you is it you know moving down market? You started with enterprise. Is it you know moving to to different applications and verticals? Uh, is it different product extensions? I'm sure you have a million things going on. But where's the company headed?
0: Well, I think that in terms of our core security offering, we see the inexorable march to the public cloud. Right? We think uh, Shape will be tightly integrated with AWS, GCP, and Azure and will just be a foundational thing that is consumed through the public cloud. We think that independent WAF companies or independent CDNs are an anachronism and uh, will die out shortly, and all of that will be uh, subsumed by the public cloud. So uh, we think that the future for Shape is make it easy and frictionless for our customers to consume, and then go one step beyond security and take the friction out of the security process for their end consumers. We want to see a day where there are no passwords, there are no usernames. We are able to let our customers know, hey, that is Zach. You saw him five times last week. This is probably what he's going to order and uh, you can let him in and we will guarantee that is who we say it is. Uh, and uh, that's on us if uh, if we don't get it right. So that from your standpoint as the end consumer, there is no v- visible security. We think that's the future it is no visible security. It's just all smooth and easy. I think that that is what Amazon is really pushing the rest of the industry to. Uh, my kids are absolutely fanatical on this point. If they run into the slightest bit of friction in an e-commerce transaction, they instantly abandon their shopping cart and go to Amazon. And it's not necessarily because Amazon has perfect security. It's that they're willing to assume the losses if they get it wrong to make that customer experience friction-free. We're saying that you don't have to incur those losses to make it friction-free with shape. It can all just happen under the covers in a way that is uh, GDPR compliant and respects the consumer's privacy, uh, but takes all of the uh, security related friction out. We believe that this next generation never wants to deal with a a multi-factor authentication. They don't want to have to get a text message or uh, use some other second factor to log in. They just want it to work.
1: That's well said. So, we talked about how you know, applied ML is really reshaping and powering this next generation of security companies, uh, shaping at the forefront of that. But, Derek, beyond shape, um, how will artificial intelligence and machine learning impact our economy?
0: I think that AI and ML are going to be transformational for narrow use cases where you can train the models on things that are sort of uh, redundant and maybe boring for a human, but require elaborate sophistication. So we've seen reporting about ML models being able to uh, spot cancer in radiological environments better than a radiologist or more consistently than a radiologist. But I don't think it replaces the doctor. I think that the literature is pointing to a collaborative environment where maybe you have ML take the first pass and say these are the things that seem most likely to be problematic, and then the the human physician comes in and takes a look and says, no, that's not really cancer, or yeah, that one really is, uh, based on a more general field of knowledge. But we see it transforming other big segments of society. The most had job in the U.S., can you guess? Teacher or truck driver? It is truck driver. Yeah. There are millions of truck drivers, and often they need to get paid every week. And uh, And those payment systems that companies use to pay them are very vulnerable to the kinds of attacks we've been talking about, and we protect those. Uh, but we really think that things like truck driving Taxi driving these things are probably uh, going away fast as you get to ai based systems with some sort of human backup uh, so we think uh, you know medicine transportation security these are three areas where AI is going to make profound changes and uh, regarding security, we think that a tipping point is coming where it will no longer be possible for the average consumer to prove that they are, who they are who they say they are online. Uh, so we think that our role in that is to sit between the world's brands and the world's consumers and be that arbiter of not only is it a bot or a human, but uh, which human is it? Uh, so that the average consumer doesn't have to engage
1: in computer science to try and prove that they are who they say they are. Can companies that were started, you know, 20 years ago, big companies, um, software companies, and, you know, they, they they obviously are not native to core machine learning, but, you know, the, you, you see them talk about machine learning, you see them advertise machine learning, and and, and it seems like they're just bolting on a machine learning team and, and, and now saying they're powered by AI. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you need to be a company like Shape where this is core to what you do and to your architecture, or can you evolve by adding an ML team and having it slowly seep into your software offering?
0: Well I think it depends on what exactly your customers are looking for from you. If it's a highly repetitive task then you can I think successfully adapt to an AI environment and move a lot of those things into that realm and provide better customer service. But they're you know millions of things that AI can't do and will never be able to do. so it really depends what your company's about, but uh, I don't think that AI is the goal in and of itself. Okay. The point for an entrepreneur is understand your customers' pain and deliver superior results in solving that pain. And if AI can be a tool in getting to that goal, then fantastic. But just saying I'm an AI company, for the that's not the end goal in and of itself, right? It's just a tool.
1: Yeah, that's well said. I think that gets lost a lot, especially in early-stage Silicon Valley, where you know AI is, is not the end goal. It's, uh, it can help you achieve a business objective, and you have to be very focused on that. So Derek, this is a question we'd like to ask at the end um, to our CEOs and, and founders. What advice do you have for new entrepreneurs who are building the next generation of AI-powered businesses?
0: The most important thing is understand the customer's pain. Number two, focus on built to last, right? You need to be hiring the best possible engineers you can to build the best system you can. Don't be afraid of needing to refactor. Really focus on delivering excellence to the customer and relentlessly focus on customer happiness All of the rest can flow, but uh, I'd be very wary about getting sucked into the danger of spending all of your VC on marketing and then outsource all of the R&D to some other country and hope for the best. That is a recipe for disaster. You need to be relentlessly focused on making sure that whatever it is you're building, that the AI is just a tool. And you've got to make sure that you're delivering excellence to the customer every day.
1: And last question for you. How can our listeners follow the progress of Shape, you know, whether they want to be a potential customer or want to join the company or uh, just want to learn more?
0: ShapeSecurity.com is our website. And we have a blog where we talk about interesting things that we see going on in, uh, in the security space, crimeware that we've discovered in the wild and how it works, trends that we see. We're very active in the JavaScript community. We're active on the T39 Standards Committee. If you're interested in JavaScript per se, in security more broadly, or want to work for an awesome company that is changing the consumer experience worldwide, come join
1: us. The key takeaways from today's episode are, one, Shape Security is helping more than 50% of the country's largest airlines and banks, as well as retail businesses like Starbucks, continuously defend against fraudulent login attempts. Two, Shape prevents over a billion fraudulent login attempts every day. And three, hackers continue to become more sophisticated, but Shape is using advanced machine learning techniques to counteract the ever-improving hacking methodologies. Thank you for listening to Innovators. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would greatly appreciate if you could share our podcast with one person who you think would greatly enjoy hearing about how the next wave of business leaders is using applied AI to reshape our business economy. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at zach at wing.bc.